So years ago, my wife Megan and I were driving along in Kansas, between Kansas City and Denver, when we passed this sign. I don't know if you can read it. It says, see the largest prairie dog in the world. See the largest prairie dog in the world. At first we laughed, right? Kind of like a few of you. Right? First we laughed. Some of you have seen this. Okay, June, June's seen this, right? So, so some of you have seen this, right? See the largest prairie dog in the world. And then we start to see another sign and another sign, miles of signs. I mean, the prairie dog marketing team is, <laughs> it's really persistent. Now, the drive across Kansas is so exciting that uh, you have hours and, and, and hours to think about deep philosophical questions like, do they really have the largest prairie dog in the world? And how large is the world's largest prairie dog? And most importantly, what in the world is a prairie dog? <laughs> and we were pretty skeptical that... Uh, Something like this, some attraction this big, would be housed in the thriving metropolis of Oakley, Kansas. And so as we're driving along, I turn to my wife, and I say, ah, Megan, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Who's ever said this? I'll believe it when I see it. Right? We've all said that phrase. I'll believe it when I see it. And so about the hundredth sign that tells us to get off the highway. We pull off. Oh, man, we're going to see. You know, we're going to see it. And we find out that it's closed. Prairie Dog Town is closed for the evening. But I was going to see this prairie dog. And so we kind of peer over the fence and crane our heads. I'm so excited to see this just surely life-changing moment for me when instead I see this. A 20-foot fiberglass monstrosity that looks like a drawing by a blindfolded preschooler. <laughs> I saw it, and I still don't believe it. I saw it, and I still don't believe I've seen the largest prairie dog in the world. I don't think you think you've seen it by seeing this picture. Who's ever said this? I'll believe it when I see it. It's one of those idioms in our society that's so ingrained that we say it without even really putting a lot of thought behind it. I'll believe it when I see it. It means, like me on that day, I'm not going to accept something as reality until I physically, personally experience it, until I see it with my own eyes. I'll believe it when I see it. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever said that in your faith? And maybe you've thought this. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going through a moment of doubt here. If you could just show me a sign, if I could see a miracle, it would really help my faith. Or maybe you've thought... God, if you could just show me something supernatural, I'd finally believe that you exist. What are those kind of thoughts? They're just rephrasing that old saying, I'll believe it when I see it. But is it true? With faith, is seeing really believing? Does seeing something create a real, lasting faith for us? 
This morning, we're back into our sermon series on the gospel of John, and, and we've seen people make this demand of Jesus all along the way. In chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus has just cleared the temple, if you remember back to that story, and the authorities there, they say this, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? What are they saying? We'll believe it when we see it, right? Later on, towards the end of the gospel in chapter 20, verse 26, we'll find one of Jesus' own disciples, Thomas, doubting Jesus' resurrection, And he's going to say this, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless I see, I will not believe. I have to see it to believe it. But is it true? Is seeing always believing? We assume it is, but would seeing a miracle really help our faith? Would it create a real, lasting faith for us? Today we're, we're looking at John chapter 12, verses 37 to 50. It's what I read a bit ago. These are the last words of Jesus' public ministry before he spends some time teaching his disciples and then is headed towards the cross. These are important words that we're going to read. And John gives us a bit of a preference, preface. He says this in verse 37, the first verse of our passage. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they would still not believe in him. The they and the there in this verse is talking about the Jewish religious authorities who've been in conflict with Jesus and are going to lead Jesus into the crucifixion. Okay, so I'm going to read this again. Now you know who the they and the there are. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence... They still would not believe in him. If you've ever wanted to see that miraculous sign from God, that's exactly what they got to experience. Think about it. They got to see the blind man see. They got to watch their own eyes as Lazarus, who died and Jesus brought back from death, walking around fully alive. They got to see with their own eyes the results of the miraculous, supernatural things that Jesus did. Did it create a real faith in them? No, it did not. They still did not believe because seeing is not always believing. We can see and still not believe. It's what Jesus says in John 6.36, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And this is something we... We find all over scripture, seeing is not believing. The most powerful example uh, to me is the Jewish people during the Exodus. If you think about what that generation saw, they saw some of the most miraculous events since creation. They saw God save them during the Exodus. They saw fire from heaven, a river of blood. They saw a pillar of fire, God defending them. They saw God part, think about this. They saw God part the Red Sea, their own eyes, and then their own feet. They got to touch dry seabed, walk through the Red Sea, walls of water on both sides, God miraculously holding it up. I've never been in a pool like that. 
They got to see that. They got to touch it. They got to see God destroy the most powerful army in the world. And did it create a real lasting faith for them? No. Months later, we see them abandon faith in God to worship the golden calf. A lot of us have had that thought, God, it would really, it would really help my faith if you just show me a sign. If you just, just give me a miracle, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, the truth is, that doesn't produce real, lasting faith. Seeing is not believing. But why isn't seeing always believing? John tells us why it wasn't for these authorities in verses 38 to 41. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes or understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So why did these authorities, why does John tell us that they didn't believe even though they got to see because their eyes were blind and their hearts were hard. They were blind. They got to see the Messiah in the flesh standing in front of them and they missed it. Now there's two aspects to this disbelief here. If you look through these verses, what you'll see is that God influenced this disbelief. This disbelief was not outside of God's plan. He influenced it and allowed it to Make sure that Jesus would be headed to the cross to ensure that death that makes our redemption possible. But then in the upcoming verses, we see the other aspect because some of these same type of leaders are going to believe. So belief was still possible for them, and it reveals that there was a personal responsibility in this belief, God's influence and our personal responsibility. And this is the blindness of disbelief, that even seeing isn't always believing. Because when we're blind, we don't see things for how they really are. We manipulate our perception of things to fit what we already think. We can deceive ourselves into thinking just about anything, can't we? And in those moments of doubt, when we, we make that demand of God, God, give me a sign, give me a miracle, our heart is really displaying a disbelief that would blind us to the point that even if God did do that miracle, his message would be lost on us, just like it was during the Exodus and just like it was for these authorities. And then we see blindness in others, don't we? If you're like me, you've got some friends who, who, who don't believe in Christ, and you're praying, and you're praying for them that they'd come to Jesus, right? And sometimes you're just struck, you're in prayer, and you're just struck with this thought, God, how, how can they not see you? How, how can they not see you? How, how are they blind to you? How can someone see the beauty of creation and not realize there's a creator? How can someone see an addict pulled back from the brink of self-destruction by faith in Christ and not acknowledge him as their savior? 
How could see someone, someone see birth and not believe in the giver of life? How can we see and still not believe? It's because of spiritual blindness. Not being able, or sometimes, you've probably seen this, not being willing to see what's right in front of us. And in the blindness of disbelief, even seeing isn't always believing. So, if you do know Christ, be the eyes to the blind. That's one of our roles. Be the eyes to the blind. Our very first value here at South Suburban is Jesus. Let me say this. We will captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. We will captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. And that's only going to happen if every one of us, every member of this church, has a passion, a drive to help the blind see Christ clearly. To be the eyes for someone else. To point God out in their lives. To point God out to them in your life. To help them see. Now, this is going to take us each having real relationships with unbelievers, isn't it? If you've got 10, 20 closest of your friends, it's going to take some of those people that we know and love not knowing Christ. Intentional relationships. But only then will you be able to be the spiritual eyes for somebody else. What we learn from these authorities is that in the blindness of disbelief, even seeing isn't always believing. But then we go on through chapter 12, and what we're going to learn from Jesus in his words in this passage is that believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. John uses the word belief, bestial, about three times as often as Matthew, Mark, and Luke Combined. So belief is really, really important as John is writing his story of Jesus' life. And all throughout the book, there's, there's this connection you begin to see between sight, sight, and belief. We've seen it somewhat in that contrast of light and dark that keeps coming up. But true belief is seeing Jesus clearly. For example, in, in John eleven forty. If you remember that story of Jesus raising Lazarus, right before he does it, he tells Martha something so important. He says this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, then you will see. That old phrase, I'll see it when I believe it, tells us that seeing comes before believing. But what Jesus tells us is that it's the other way around. First we believe, then we will see. We have to believe before we can see things clearly. Believing is seeing Jesus for who he really is. And how should we see Jesus? He gives us one aspect here in the following verses in 44 to 46. After these words, after verse 50, Jesus is going to spend his last night with his disciples and be headed to the cross. These are his last words of his public ministry, and they're very important. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Believing is seeing. 
believing is looking at Jesus and seeing God. Look back at that verse. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. We've all got faith in something, right? I mean, everybody we know, we've all got faith in something. And we usually talk about faith. We usually define faith by the level of sincerity we have in whatever beliefs we hold. But what's most important is not whether you have faith in something or even the level of sincerity you bring to those beliefs. It's the object of your faith that counts. It's what you have faith in. Faith is like an icy lake, walking across an icy lake. Have you ever walked across an icy lake? I'm not saying to do it. just saying, have you in the past walk across an icy lake? You're kind of shuffling along, looking down, hoping the ice doesn't crack beneath you. In that moment, does it matter the sincerity in which you think that that ice is going to hold you up? Does it matter how much you think that ice is going to hold you up? It doesn't. What really matters, what only matters, is the strength of the ice. It's the same thing with faith. You might see yourself as a very spiritual person. You might have the most genuine faith. You might be light years ahead of me in the sincerity of your beliefs, but if you have the wrong object of your faith, it doesn't matter. The religious authorities in Jesus' day had a very sincere faith. They lived it out in ways... It would be hard for us to imagine and how meticulous and passionate and consuming their faith was for them. But they got the object of their faith wrong. So this is what Jesus goes on to say about them in verses 48 to 50. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has said to me. Listen to Jesus. Listen to these words. There is a judge for the one who rejects me. Not, there's many ways to God and I am one among them. No, no, no. There is a judge for the one who rejects me. You might be so sincere in your faith, so sincere in your beliefs, but if you reject Jesus, if you don't accept his words and him as Savior, you'll be condemned. But if he's the ultimate object of your faith, you'll have eternal life. And that's the eyes of belief. Believing is seeing Jesus clearly. Seeing Jesus for who he really is. My Lord, my Savior, my God. Which side do you fall on? Disbelief or belief? The blindness of disbelief is that seeing isn't always believing. And the eyes of belief see Jesus clearly. But often those who know Jesus for a long time, at times we can kind of be somewhere in between, can't we? We we can be somewhere between sight and blindness. Often in faith we have an obstructed vision. And John tells us in our passage that that's just where many people found themselves in Jesus' day. 
verses 42 and 43. Maybe you caught this when we were reading it. This is, these are really interesting verses. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. That's kind of surprising, right? Some of the religious leaders, that same group that put Jesus to death, actually were convinced he was the Savior. But they weren't willing to admit it, talk about it, witness to it in public for two reasons that John gives us. First, they didn't want to be put out in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue in that day wasn't just a religious center that they would visit for a couple hours a week. It was the social hub for all of Jewish life. And so to lose the synagogue was to lose your social relationships. And then second, they worked really hard. They had checked all the religious boxes, done all the things right to gain human praise and glory. And John says that they did not want their faith to cost them that. It always amazes me. It always amazes me how much scripture relates to our lives even today. How these words that were written 2,000 years ago can kind of just, oh, they can get us right where we're at. I mean, isn't there where we often find ourselves living out a timid faith, often driven by fear? So if we think about these two sides, these, these leaders were somewhere in between. They weren't totally spiritually blind, right? They acknowledged Jesus was Lord, acknowledged he was Savior, acknowledged he was Messiah, but then they weren't seeing Jesus clearly. Because if you see Jesus clearly, you're willing to sacrifice anything for him. And they won't even let others know that they have this newfound faith. Their vision of Jesus was obstructed. And that's my question for you this morning. What is obstructing your vision of Christ? What is getting in the way of you seeing Jesus for who he really is and you living out that faith? If you've been to a, a, some sort of sports game, you sit down, and a really tall guy sits in front of you, right? So I'm 5'10". Okay, I'm, I'm almost 5'10", but don't tell anybody. And some years ago, I was at a sports game, I was at a football game. And about second quarter, this big monster of a guy, about 6'6", six, six, comes in and sits down right in front of me. And I'm almost 5'10". So I spend the whole rest of the game kind of trying to look over him and around him to his side, trying to see the game clearly, but I couldn't. I missed like half the game because my vision was obstructed. There was just something right in front of my face getting in the way. What is that thing in your life that's obstructing your vision of Jesus? What's just sitting kind of right there getting in your way of seeing him clearly and living out of who he really is? Because this is how it affects us. When, when something gets in the way, when our vision is obstructed, the more it's obstructed, the more that line between what we think and how we live becomes to, begins to separate, just like it did for these authorities. So when we get to this spot, yeah, we're not totally blind. We'll still acknowledge 
that Jesus is Lord, but we're also not seeing him clearly because we're not living out that faith. So what is obstructing your vision in Jesus? John gives us a couple things for these leaders that might be helpful in beginning to think about this. Maybe like with these timid authorities who, who wanted to believe, there's a particular relationship in your life that's, that's getting in the way. What you really worship in life is some other person. Their approval is everything, and if you allowed their opinion of you to eclipse Christ's opinion of you, a child of God that was worth dying for, and you're having to look over and around that other person to be able to see Jesus. Or maybe like those same timid authorities who wanted to believe, personal glory and praise are getting in the way. The thing that's obstructing your vision is yourself. So you've spent years, maybe even decades, gaining head knowledge about the Bible without allowing it to drive you to action. One of our values here at South Suburban is action. That empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will actively serve, care, and give to advance the mission of God. And you would say, I'm not actively serving, caring, and giving. Because even your faith has become all about you. And Jesus has become an idea that agrees with you instead of a person who you desperately love. These are just two things that we're getting in the way for these particular authorities that John helps point out to us. Things that were obstructing their vision. But I'm going to guess that it's something different for each one of us. What is it for you? What is obstructing your vision? What is getting in the way of you seeing Jesus clearly? I'll have to see it to believe it. And a lot of us have thought that even in our faith. But seeing is not believing. And seeing does not always create real, lasting faith. We can manipulate our perception around what we already think. We can make ourselves blind. Whether it's missing God in the Exodus, missing the Messiah in the flesh, or even thinking a 20-foot fiberglass statue is the largest prairie dog in the world. We can deceive ourselves into just about anything, can't we? So seeing is not believing. No. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing Christ clearly for who he really is. Seeing him as my Savior, my King, my Lord, my God. Let's pray.